Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Mary McCoskey from Warwick, New York. She has a new chapbook, The Gambler's Daughter, from Orchard Street Press. And uh, this is a, a comeback for Mary that is coming back to talk to me because way back in the 1990s, she was on a program that was very much like this, but it was a cable TV show. And this is what we did. We talked and Mary or any featured poet read poems. So uh, it's great to have you back, Mary, and do this again. Thank you. I, I was, I'm not surprised that you've been writing, still writing poetry all these years, because back then in the old pre-computer days on everyone's desk, you had to drive to Albany, New York to get in the studio and sit with me while the cameras faced us and recorded us. So anyone who did that was fairly serious about their poetry, no matter where they were in their poetic career. So welcome aboard to the Poetry Spoken Here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be back. And uh, where would you like to start? Would you like to would you like to just leap right in with a poem? I think I'd like to start with the title poem of my chapbook, which is The Gambler's Daughter. Through his fingers runs the magic of numbers. Three's mystic trinity, the infinite loop of eight. Seven the key and five begging on its fat haunches. On their sleek sides, horses carry numbers. Jockeys weigh in, he says, you must weigh the odds. But she loves gray dappled on gray and the names. Iron Leech, native dancer, made a flight. When he waves his daily double across the finish line, she thrums to the rhythm of 40 pounding hooves. He teaches her that numbers after the cleft of the dollar sign turn to music, that X is the unknown. She must solve, solve, solve. He explains the mystery of zero an absence so potent it can make or erase a million. He can figure in his head columns of numbers like dervishes whirling, his lucky number coming up, life adding up to something, the combination of heaven's gate. 
She eats crab cakes in seedy restaurants that chime with music of one-armed bandits. And when three gold eggs drop, lemon, 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 she savors on her tongue the smooth, bright sounds of lemon, 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 for its words that count. <laughs> was your dad an actual super math whiz? Actually, he was, yeah. My wow. dad is no longer with me, but he he was extreme. He could do things in his head. He was really a natural with math, um, which was frustrating to me because I was not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and before we came on, we were talking about a common experience. I, too, went to little bars down by the Chesapeake Bay and played the one-armed bandits. While my parents, they pretty much just chatted and sipped their national bohemians. But uh, but when you said one-armed bandit, I knew uh, it's an authentic reference. You don't hear it anymore. People call them slot machines. And I guess that makes the uh, casinos feel better. At any rate... You, you do a lot of poems about your, in this book, at least. The, the, uh, have you been writing all along a lot of poems about your family or is it that is together because of the theme here? I've always written a lot of poems about my family, but this particular chapbook, um, it just, as it took shape, it began to be almost entirely about my family. Uh, that was about my parents, uh, my children, my grandchildren. Um, there are other poems in it a few other poems in it, a couple of poems actually about the pandemic. Um, but I did write a lot about my, my family. Um, and so maybe I'll read one about my mother now, um, since I re read one about my father. My mother bathing. Why was I there as she bathed? To guard her from falling? Heart that had drummed awake after stalling a moment. What change had you made? Sallow flesh melting like wax from elegant cheekbones. Ribs caging ragged breath. Breasts I had suckled. Belly where I had blindly coiled. Now hung like empty udders. Forgotten the taste of her milk discarded the womb that bore a baffling daughter. O oh, ravaged heart, dissolving our summer of hope in that stark light. I could not touch her. To help her bathe would be to admit defeat. Her hands moved slowly over her nipples and pubis. Death coated her body like oil she could not wash away. You want to say anything about that, Paul? Um, well, it is something that really happened. My mother had um, a heart attack and then was sort of recovering, never really recovered. And this is between the first one and the second one. Uh, she died of the second heart attack. Um, but when I saw her naked, and this has happened to me with other people as well. Sometimes you can look at someone and say, I see death on that person's body. Mm. And it was such a 
a shocking thing. Um, and yet we couldn't talk about it. So that was very sad, but, um, but that still, that memory stays with me of, of seeing her in the bath and just knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. I, sh I should mention that unlike normal read poetry readings, here it's fair game to comment as much as you like before or after a poem. Good. <laughs> as long as you don't yeah. tell us the story before the poem repeats the oh, story. Yes. Other I know, than that, I know. <laughs> say anything you want. Because we appreciate the context and that's the combination of getting to know you as well as, as the poetry that you write. So, right. Well, I guess maybe I would read one then about my son, one of my sons. I have two sons. I have four grandsons. Wow. We do, we do boys in this family. <laughs> um, so this, this is a poem that I read at my son's wedding when he married the woman who's in the poem. Um, it was very hard to get, uh, I, I shouldn't tell the story before, right, Charlie, but it was hard, <laughs> it was hard to get through this poem at the wedding, as you can imagine, okay. without crying. So, jazz duo. Uh, I should mention that they're both musicians. Now our son learns to accompany a woman singing. Not too much amp, don't step on her words. He takes his solos or leaves them. They talk about key, where to start, how to end. The way her glance lights his face, everyone knows she's singing the love songs to him. Their repertoire is straight from the standards book. I may be wrong, but I think you're wonderful. The sun didn't shine till there was you. There were times when dissonance was all, when he was lead guitar with no time for lyrics older than him, when both knew solitude, no matter who was with them. Now only the past darkens, cry me a river. Let them play on, play on, come rain or come shine, don't leave, he murmurs, half asleep, as she rises early for work. She thinks he means that morning. He means always. Yeah, I love that poem. It stood out to me uh, when I read through the book, the chat book. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the working together, it's such a neat thing using, using music. It's like talking about a couple dancing and uh, it's not really obvious who's leading, but it's coordinated. Yeah, and it was interesting watching them. I mean, he was, you know, he was a kind of a rock guitarist. And uh, when he went, he went more into jazz. And then of course he met this jazz singer. And um, so that was quite a, quite a change for him. And um, I think they found their their place with each other. It's very yeah. good. So, and I guess I should, let's see, maybe I'll do one. Could I do another one about, sure. I'm on a roll here with family. I'm not, I'm not sure I can cover everybody, but <laughs> this one is called <laughs> Wedding Ring. The first lost in our garden's mulch. The next cracked clean through at its weakest point. 
I yearned for another, but knew by then its cost. Men driven underground to break the earth and thereby break themselves. Their labor and their lives held cheap. I looked at want and need and questioned both. Perhaps an old ring, relic of another marriage, would suffice. Its gold, at least, mined by lives already lost. Yet how long I would need to search. Time I could kneel beside you, planting seeds. Time I could lay my head full of intangible memories against your heart. Reading all the poems I really remember from reading the chapbook. <laughs> That's, that stood out to me. That's, this is very enjoyable. Folks, if you're wondering, I should mention the poems Mary's read so far are all in The Gambler's Daughter, available from Orchard Street Press. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm not saying you should read anything particular, but over these years, as you've been writing poetry and publishing in lots of places, including Poetry Magazine, very good. Uh, wondering what other, do you have any other focuses? Like family is one thing as, as a grand topic area. Are there any others like that? Just curious. Yes, I do. I do, as a matter of fact. I have, um, I have two which are in the chapbook, which are about the pandemic. Mm. And one, this is interesting. I, I love the way sometimes poems come to you in very strange ways. Um, I was reading about Marcel Marceau, the mime, and I did not ever realize that before he became a mime, he actually helped children escape from the Nazis. He smuggled them into Switzerland. And I hadn't known that. And I thought that's really an interesting fact. And this, I read about this, I guess, when I was going, we were all going through the pandemic. Um, and somehow that connected in my mind. So this is called Mime. Voice muted by danger. He mimed directions to children crossing the mountains into Switzerland. Escape was the object then. As later he mimed escape from the box we could not see his hands cruising invisible walls, running floor to ceiling, side to side, in search of latch, knob, key, or crack he could work his fingers into. And we could feel his urgency, share his panic at being trapped, so much so that the walls became real, solid, and our own breath constricted in that imagined box. Now, when we cannot touch loved ones whose breath constricts in clotted lungs, we press our palms against a pain. Now, ordinary life, the thrum and traffic of our days, stalls as disease encloses and divides us with solid, unseen, impenetrable walls. Our hands reach out, but cannot touch and test them. We cannot find, as Marceau did at last, the exit door. Mm. 
yeah, I, when I when I got to the end and saw that it was it was him, I could immediately envision him doing the hands going across the stage with the wall, you know, that kind of move. Just like everyone else, I, I've seen him, I guess, at least in film or TV, video, whatever. And uh, it's such a familiar sight. I mean, in, your, in my mind, that that is definitely a interesting, unique fact. Among the things I learned about you from your website uh, is that, of course, you uh, do some teaching, leading workshops and things like that. And anybody who does that, I, if I remember, I ask them this, what do, what is your biggest takeaway you hope people get in terms of how to write poems when you teach a workshop or a class? What should they remember? I think the biggest thing to remember is that a poem is anything and anywhere, that it can be any source at all. And it can be any form. I mean, I, I mostly write free verse, but I've also mm -hmm. written sonnets and villanelles and even one sestina. And, you know, I write sometimes in form. Uh, the, other, the other poem that I have that's a pandemic poem is, is a rhymed poem. Um, so I tell people, you can use any form you want. You can find poems right in your ordinary life. Okay, but you can also find poems that are responses to other poems. If you read a poem and you say, yes, yes, I wanna write something like that, that's fine. Or no, this is all wrong. Let me write a poem that's going to correct this one. Uh, that's fine too. If you see something in the news as I did with this item about Marcel Marceau, you can use that as well. Um, I do a lot of that now. Um, so yeah, I have done quite a bit of that. And I guess I should probably read some more. Should I read it? Should I read another one? Should I read the other pandemic poems since I just mentioned? Um, That's something that that's I, timely. <laughs> that I, it's timely. Yeah, well, actually, unfortunately, we seem to be going yeah. back, we go into these waves in and yeah, out. Right. But the thing that really, really impressed me, well, I guess there were many things, but about the pandemic was just being so isolated and being so, we love to have people come over for dinner and we have a wonderful porch and deck and we sit out there and, you know, dusk falls and we sit in the dark yeah. <laughs> talking and it's just wonderful. And we couldn't do that anymore. So this is called Dinner Guests, A Memory. Dusk, dishes cleared, candles lit, the last of the wine poured. Outside the porch, a bat flits as sight comes unmoored from talk that deepens as if darkness thrives on darkness, we attempt to keep below the surface of our daily lives. So common a ritual, breaking bread together, who could believe the need to turn away forsaking such communion, no reprieve in sight. Masked, distanced, flattened to images on screens or disembodied voices, existence that denies our hunger to be truly seen. How hard it was to end the night, rise, meander toward the door, blinking in the artificial light, the hugs goodbye, Assured we'd see each other soon to savor food and human touch. Now, 
bereft of company. The rooms hold deeper darkness, deeper hush. Mm. Yeah, everybody's missing that for sure. Mm. Oh, here's another thing I like to ask people about. What, uh, who are your favorite poets? My favorite poets. Oh my goodness, there are so many that well, I don't. Yeah. I don't know even how to start. Um, well, I can, off the top of my head, Ellen Bass, yeah. Billy Collins. Um, oh, wow. Now I'm going to blank out. Um, so many others, but I really can't. How, how about a book? How about a book? I should, how about a book I should go buy if I don't have it? You should go buy. If okay. I don't have it, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, any of Ellen, book, Ellen Bass's books, yeah, I would say. She's really good. Um, she's quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a whole bookshelf of books. <laughs> now I can't <laughs> hear anybody. Um, but I think that the um, Academy of American Poets does send out a poem a day. And I often check those out. And I love finding a new poet. That's one of my favorite things is to find yeah. a new poet. So um, Ada Limon is another I just thought of. Um, and uh, there's a young man, actually he was a student of mine, Stephen Kramer. There are two Stephen Kramers. So this is a Stephen Kramer who's up in Vermont, up in your area. Oh. Um, he's won several prestigious awards. And um, he was in my class when he was, it was a non-credit class. He was 15 and he was in there with a bunch of uh, middle-aged women. And he wasn't, he wasn't intimidated at all. And, and I, I knew it that immediately I said, oh my, he's quite good. <laughs> wow. And he went on to do very good things. Oh. So um, I like Stephen's poems. Give us his name um, again. Stephen Kramer, C-R-A-M-E-R. But there are two Stephen Kramers. Mm -hmm. I guess they should go by their middle initials as well. But uh, he's the one, he's in Vermont actually, lives in Vermont. Who knows, folks, you may get to hear him on the show sometime. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. You should contact. Me. This is how we find people. That's right. Right. People know people. There you go. Yeah. Well, we still have a little bit of time, so uh, you can pull out another poem. Okay. We were just talking about that one-armed bandit. Oh, yeah. Whether, whether or not people would understand what that means. And so I do have a poem about that. This is in my book, uh, World Enough and Time, which is from Kelsey Press. Um it's called Museum of Dusty Metaphors, because I did think about that. I thought, well, you know, when you're writing a poem and you put something in it, you say to yourself, is a 20 year old going to understand what this is? <laughs> um, Museum of Dusty Metaphors. Moonlight turns the yard to a negative. If you remember negatives. If not, it drenches the yard in whitewash. If you know whitewash. Crickets buzz like the sound of the needle at record's end, if you recall a record's spin. I stand on the running board of night while moonlight starches every tree and blade of grass. If you know trees, grass, moonlight. Ooh, that's really interesting, yeah. Historic references to things like trees and grass. <laughs> it could happen. 
I've been reading a lot of Margaret Atwood lately. So she talks about those kinds of things, you know, the near yeah. future and what you get into with speculative fiction. Yeah, yes, I really. love poetry too, yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. We've lost what? so many poem, poets that are just yeah. wonderful. I, when I'm thinking back on other poets that I loved, um, not contemporary, but Galway Cannell and mm. Maxine Kuhlman, poets like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have time for one final poem, if you'd like to do one more. I would, because I like good. to always, if I can, end my readings with this one, because oh, good. unfortunately, it's just as relevant as it always was. This is from my, my book, Traction, which is from Ashland Press, which was 2011, but it's called Out of Hate's Country. And I'm treating here hate as if it were an actual country with a language of its own and a place you could emigrate from. Mm out of hate's country. Her sons grow to men who face all faces with undamaged eyes. Wait for each soul to speak its name. They don't know what an old country she's from, how she must translate in her head the grace that rolls from their tongues. The past spins a powerful hex. She hushes pride spits over her shoulder for luck. As much as what she said or done, her silence has kept them safe. Some moonless night, she will rip out the words of hate sewn into her coat and bury them deep where all bones embrace. Ah. Uh. Yes, a good one to end with. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been wonderful to sit here and, and have you read your poems to me and to everyone else. Well, thank you for having me, Charlie. I appreciate it. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here, folks. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Our guest today, Mary Makofsky. I hope you will be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.